Coming to you on some serious tape delay via a podcast near you. From that hockey hotbed of San Jose, California, it's Dudes on Hockey. He is now accepting callers. He is calling me Dude. And now your hosts, Mike and Doug. Hey there, and welcome to the Dudes on Hockey podcast. I'm Mike, and that's Doug. Dude, we have a winning streak. We're going streaking, dude. Everything's good. I'm streaking right now. You just can't see it. <laughs> oh, I can see it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I did, oh. Move the, I did move the camera, didn't I? <laughs> dude, does that mean because we are on a two-game win streak that this podcast today is going to be filled with positivity? Uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves, shall we? <laughs> We got some good emails on that. Maybe we should start with that. But yeah, you're right. We've had three games since the last podcast. Uh, a predictable loss to Calgary, which we'll get to. And then a almost almost predictable win against uh, Anaheim. And then a win against the now hapless Flyers. Yeah. And, you know, I suppose wins are wins, dude. I can't say that I'm super stoked about either win. In terms of how the team played, but uh, I guess we can get into that, dude. When you want to talk about the games first, we, we've been barraged with emails as well. Yes, uh, questions of dudes on hockey, of course, is the email address. Uh, let's talk mm. about the negativity first, dude. Uh, we we got some email, <laughs> several emails but, on that point. Oh, uh, we'll just keep riding that horse until it's in the ground. Yeah, why not? Uh, one uh, listener even said. I'm in an even more pessimistic mood. I decided to smoke a bowl and think about it a little bit more. No, we, we're driving listeners to yeah. actually do recreational drugs. We are. We are. Or the sharks. It's the sharks, dude. It's the this sharks. This should be their slogan. The sharks are so depressing, it'll make you do drugs. <laughs> it could happen. But anyway, <laughs> Justin asks, I ask you dudes, if the Sharks end up letting this staff led by the student go, do you think they should target Babcock, the master? No. No? You don't think a Mike Babcock-led team is exactly the kind of thing this team needs? Um, they're not, they wouldn't do that. You, you, you want that, too? You, you would, would you want Mike Babcock? Well, I guess... We were talking last week, or I don't know, I can't remember exactly if this happened since the last podcast, but there was a rumor that Doug Wilson was in contact with Dan Bilesma, right? Right, that did happen from the last podcast, yeah. Right, so, and, you know, clearly that means McClellan's sort of on the hot seat. There was all kinds of uh, suggestions and, and speculation about if they lose to the Ducks, he's going to be fired. If they lose to the Flyers, he's going to be fired. All this kind of stuff. Obviously, McClellan still has his office. Uh, but if I was given the choice between Babcock and Bilesma, I think I would choose Babcock. Wouldn't you? Well, sure. But I guess the reason why I'm not like even entertaining it is because it's just not anywhere in the realm of possibility. <laughs> he would never, ever, ever come to San Jose. Why? Never. Why not? Never come dude. Cause he's going to get better offers from teams that are more set up to win. He's going to get a better offer. He would, I mean, everyone is assuming that if he leaves Detroit, that he's going to go to Toronto. I mean, and isn't that just a foregone conclusion at this point that he's going to be coaching the Maple Leafs? I feel like it's already happened. <laughs> well, 
the thing is, dude, it's not like the Maple Leafs are doing that great. Uh, speaking of Maple Leafs, uh, who was it? Let me grab the uh, the email. Uh, someone, and for some reason I can't find the email. Someone said, why don't we trade uh, Niemi to Toronto maybe for Nazem Kadri, dude? What do you think of this crazy trade? We definitely need another guy who refuses to work hard. That's a great <laughs> idea. <laughs> and, and it, a team, if we do trade Niemi, no one is going to give us anyone anywhere close to Kadri's talent level. That's right. That's happen. Like, I mean, when we see these kind of trades for goalies, they're happening for mid-round mid picks, right? Yes. I mean, isn't that sort of the expectation? If we got a second for Niemi, isn't that the expectation? We might not be happy with it, right? But, um, you know, is Niemi anything better than a slightly above league average goaltender? No, he's not. And, and we've talked about that you know, the last couple of weeks, you know, comparing him with Marc-Andre Fleury and others, I I think he's basically a league average goalie that doesn't get hurt. So, you know, that's something going for him. I mean, there's plenty of below. You just, you just guaranteed he's going to get hurt. You realize that. <laughs> I know. I'm kind of hoping. I, I want Stalock to be healthy. I want him to come back. Oh, no. That's Ka- not nice. But Kadri's Ka- got 14 points. He's not leading the Leafs in, in, in anything. But... I still think that that they they wouldn't sort of they wouldn't like, get him. No, I mean it's sort of like a Kadri, Niall Yakupov. I mean these guys are you know talented guys, but I mean, do you want the next Alexander Semin on your team? And by the way, I loved the. Uh, <laughs> I know where this is going. Okay, there was a post on ESPN where they were talking about the value of Alexander Semin and a team that he could help, and they listed the Sharks, and I threw up. I actually literally vomited on on my desk can you imagine semen and teal dude if that's the solution let's say the sharks trade tommy wingles to the carolina hurricanes for alexander semen would you just would your head explode in anger uh yeah i wouldn't be happy let's put it this way I'm- i would I, I might i might take my jersey and burn it like seriously if that's where this is going like first of all this is a espn you know pundit that's writing something you know fictional and that's not going to happen but i mean to even see it in print just made me feel sick like i couldn't believe can you imagine the bongo drums being played in san jose uh uh i'm i'm just actually i'm scrolling through the andy bench article on why the shark should get salmon oh did he write that uh no i think I know he wrote something on it. I don't know what his source. Oh, it was someone was. who wrote for an insider, and I I don't remember who it was. But maybe Bench wrote about it too. I, I didn't read that, but I I cannot like in any way feel like that that is a good idea. How is that a good idea? This guy who has now he's on his like second team of being basically excused for being a loser. It's not a talent thing, right? I mean, this is, uh, you know, um, Filatov, Semen, uh, Yakupov. I'm sorry. Uh, that's ridiculous. You don't need Semen. He's not going to fix anything. Yeah, I don't think I, – I don't understand that thinking at all. I mean, this Let's is, bring back Martin Havlat too. Why not? I mean, you know. That would be a good idea too. He's got a lot of potential for facial lacerations. 
<laughs> anyway, dude, I, I don't think these trades are going to happen. I don't see why we would get no. Alexander Salmon. That doesn't, I don't see how that fixes anything. It doesn't, dude, anything. let's talk about, let's talk about the good stuff. I'm feeling a little Grinchish right now. Okay. Let's transition out of the emails. Let's talk about the two wins. We've got two <laughs> wins, dude. We got two wins. Let's pretend the Calgary game never even happened. More talk about the Ducks, dude. The win over the Ducks, six four win over the Ducks. It was five to one. They almost blew it. Yes, but they, but they won. Yes. So there, there were several chances, good quality scoring chances that would have tied the game, and they didn't but they score. Did not. They did not. They did not. I think it would have been the first time in franchise history the Sharks blew a four goal lead. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm glad that didn't happen. Uh, of course, you know, when I saw the first period of that game, the Sharks looked like a completely different team. They were motivated. They were uh, hustling. They were, you know, being gritty in the corners. Like everything that we've seen the Sharks do when they're playing well, they did. And then it almost like they got up four to one. I can't remember if it was like four or one or to five to one. When the Sharks, it was almost like a palpable lifting of the foot from the pedal. And, mm-hmm. the, and the Ducks did make the adjustment to put Carrie, uh, Perry and Getzlaff back together, which obviously helped them. Um, you know, that, that shouldn't be completely discounted either. I mean, that, that helped them. But the Sharks were dominating that game. And then all of a sudden they weren't. And I was like, oh, wait, we have 40 more minutes of hockey to play? And it almost right. bit him in the ass. Right. And we saw almost the reversal of that on Tuesday night against the Flyers where the Flyers scored first, they jumped out, they were jumping all over the Sharks and they found a way to regroup and win that game. And I don't care that they won with such a fluky goal at the end. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you need to do. I mean, when's the last time you saw three Sharks charging the net for a loose puck? I mean, that's what we saw, right? And they took out the goalie, good. All right, let's get aggressive. Let's get around the net and Nieto scoring on sort of a bang, bang, bang play. We need more of those sorts of things. And I, I, that's a that's a good win. They won that game. And after looking crappy to start. Yeah, and, and I have no problem with that goal. That wasn't a fluky goal. That wasn't a goal they didn't deserve. Like you said, you know, the Sharks have not had a lot of rebound goals the most most of the goals in the national hockey league are scored on rebounds they're scored soon after other shots take place and the fact that we had a second guy coming in to shoot a third guy coming in to shoot that that takes all the flukiness out of it that's 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 good fortune produced by doing the right thing around the net so that there's right. no, there's no flukiness about it i mean maybe if uh if mason was still in the net they still would have scored on the third chance because Mason would have been, who knows where he, his head would have been at, where he would have been looking at with the puck bouncing around as it does on rebounds. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that goal. Nothing at all. If you're going to give a good NHL team three cracks like that on a breakaway situation, uh, they're going to score. And and the Sharks did. And that was a good win. And it was good to see them have that sort of energy in the last you know period. And I'm hoping that they can translate that into some more you know complete efforts and see how that works tonight against boston you know which they have some injury problems but boston always plays hard and can the sharks you know piggyback that into this next game you know or are they going to come out flat right you know 
who knows? But it's encouraging. You know, the Ducks game, I felt after that game, I didn't feel great. Like, I was like, okay, we won, but, I mean, we almost totally blew it. And the Flyers game, even though the Flyers are wretched on the road, we found a way to win. And I thought they played better against a team that was playing kind of desperate. And let's see what they do tonight. I mean, this is a kind of a pivotal turning point here for them where they can either come out of this or sink right back into it, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, uh, Wes has a positive spin, according to his email. He says, uh, after the painful end to last season, followed by a summer where surprisingly nothing changed, two things are clear. The Sharks will never be real cup contenders without major changes, and there will never be major changes until the current group hits rock bottom. The longer we put off the inevitable rebuild, the worse it would be. Therefore, I think the best thing for the long-term success of the Sharks would be for them to miss the playoffs this year, and they are right on track to do just that. Right. So, dude, this email didn't turn out to be quite as positive as I had hoped. Uh, no. I mean, <laughs> but it's hard to argue with that. I mean, really, it's it's hard to argue with, with his points and sort of what we've been saying, you know? I mean, it, it it's, it's not a positive spin unless they're going to take the approach of, you know, let's strip this down and, and rebuild it, right? But they're not doing that. That's not the plan, clearly. Uh, and it's not to play the young players either based on Tennyson being sent back to Worcester and Mueller and Goudreau being scratched against Philadelphia. So that plan seems to be gone too, dude. Yeah. I'm not really sure. I, I have no idea what's driving these decisions. I mean, I, I can only assume that they're being driven by the coach trying to win the game that night, right? Is that what uh, this is? I- I mean, you can't. It's Mueller's not been great. It's been okay. It's been okay, right? Goudreau has been below average. Not. I mean, you know. I mean, if you're not in a situation where you're going to say, "Well, we're going to commit to playing our young players," I mean, has he played well enough for you to be like like Nieto and Hurdle last year, where you're like, "Well, we can't take them out of the lineup." No, right. Goudreau and Mueller played well enough to say, "Oh, you can't take them out of the lineup," but. I, I guess that's the big question is what is what is the goal here to still try and squeak our way into the playoffs and lose in the first round or to develop our young players? Uh, it's, yeah, I think it's pretty clear that it's to continue to win games. Yeah, and and they've been very mediocre at that with the veterans. They've been mediocre. The last two ones have been good. How much credit do you give the fourth line? Dude, we've seen a lot written about this in the last two days. Uh, Kevin Kerr's writing about how the fourth line had a very positive impact on the game versus Philadelphia. That fourth line also played against the Ducks, uh, two of the Sharks' better efforts in the last month. With Scott and Brown being out there, how much credit do you give them? Uh, I think it makes a big difference. Uh, when the fourth line plays well, um, you know, I'm going to go into an analytics argument in a, in a little bit, but I, th- I think that, uh, if you play these guys, no minutes then, and they're, well, I mean, let's, let's not get too excited here. I mean, this is, this is two games, right? These are traditionally players that have had horrible pr- possession numbers, um, you know, two good games and they were good games does not turn the whole thing around. I, I, it certainly indicates that when your fourth line plays well, it's a lot easier to win. I think that's the case. I mean, if you're just giving up shot after shot, scoring chance after scoring chance when that line's on the ice, then you're either 
the ice is completely tilted for you know six minutes a game or you're playing the third line probably way too much and the Sharks third line hasn't been exactly world beaters either right right um we've seen the teams have success playing rolling out their lines more than three minutes a night right which is what seems to happen with the Sharks four line fourth line in the playoffs especially now right we're not advocating for John Scott to be playing 12 minutes but you know, if, if he's going to be there, they've got to play. And if they're not effective, then they shouldn't play. But it seems like these guys have turned into decent games for players of their ability level. And they've been physical, and they've been disruptive, and that's their job. So um, against Boston tonight, I would expect to see them again, especially against the Bruins, uh, physical team, and see if they can continue to add that kind of presence. Um but you're right. We shouldn't get too uh, over. <laughs> well, well, dude, maybe this is something we can get excited about. We got an email from Mike or a couple of emails from Mike, actually, who is a, a Vancouver fan. Uh, he follows the Canucks. Boo. <laughs> Boo. Boo. He, he follows the Canucks. He was in our fantasy league last year. He enjoys our discussions as a hockey fan in a hockey saturated market where sports talk radio is ludicrously over the top and imbues mo- most issues about the Canucks through rose-colored glasses. But he does have some observations on the show. Even though the Sharks have had a tremendous regular season, you persist in thinking about the fluke playoff loss. Get over it. The team is good even after losing to L.A. When all the public noise about change and going with youth didn't happen, I took it as a sign that management does indeed like the team as it is, but needed to make a PR show in the wake of the playoff loss. Mike advocates moving Burns back to wing, moving paths to center the third line and roll three effective lines. Nothing wrong with the leadership or goaltending. As you pointed out, the third and the fourth lines are getting killed, and that allows opposing teams to focus their top D pairings against the first and second lines. He also says, at the beginning of last season, you were all over the advanced metrics, and that seems to have gone away this year. I think bringing in some discussion of Sharks' puck possession stats and shooting percentages might go a long way to balance your tendency to cynicism. In the disappointing shutout loss to Calgary, the Sharks badly outplayed and outshot the Flames, and that sort of thing will balance out over the course of the schedule. Please note I said cynicism and not skepticism. You are too close to the situation and need to make a mental adjustment. Wow. Shakabuku, dude, is that a spiritual kick to the head that we needed? No, I disagree with most of the things he wrote. Crap. So, <laughs> sorry, Mike. Mike, I do not think that the loss to LA was a fluke. I don't call that a fluke. Do you call that a fluke, dude? I think we got our ass beat. Yeah, I think that's that's of the four bullet points that Mike had here, that's the one that I have I, I buy into the least. I, I don't think I think the Sharks, uh, you know, you lose four games in a row. Uh, I don't see got, how that's got, a fluke. They got they got crushed, you know, in those four games, right? That's right. It's not like they all went to overtime and the Sharks got lost on, you know, they lost on like weird deflections like that one however many years ago where it like went off the stanchion to the point no one knew where it was and someone shot into the net. If that happened four games in a row, yeah, okay, I'll buy into fluke. But, I mean, you're right. The Sharks got absolutely torched in Game 5, specifically when they were at home. That's a game you got to win. you got to win that game. Yeah, so I'm sorry, Mike. I cannot get over it. Like, I can't get over it. Like, uh, 
I don't think Sharks fans can get past that. Like to see that happen to the team and to have nothing done to remedy the situation. So you might be right. Yeah, maybe they did decide that they do like this team and they believe that they deserve another kick at the can. I don't think they deserve another kick at the can. They've kicked this can in infinity, dude. Like this group has kicked the can so many times they've kicked the old Coke can, the new Coke can, the Coke Zero can. They've kicked it all, all right? The Coke with Stevia can. Right, and, and, and the, the result appears to be the same and getting worse, getting worse. So that's, that's where my take is on this. But uh, we could be right. Maybe we are too close to the situation. Maybe we're too emotionally invested, dude. Of course, we're um, mostly invested. We're, the, we're Sharks fans, for God's sakes. We're on a Sharks podcast. I do want to actually take this opportunity to talk a little bit, hopefully without going too long. Dude, I need you to rein me in if I start talking too long about this. But I do want to talk a little bit about advanced stats and, and talk about uh, Corsi and things like that. So um, one thing that, that I do want to talk about is um, Mike is right somewhat. When, he, when it comes to puck possession stats. And, and let me talk a little bit about that. And, and some of this is there's going to be a lot of questions involved. I don't have a ton of answers. But right now the Sharks are seventh in the league in Corsi percentage, which means the percentage of shots that they direct towards the net versus the percentage of shots directed at their own net. Okay, So their Corsi percentage right now is 525 They're ahead of Detroit, Carolina, Washington, Pittsburgh, L.A., St. Louis, the Ducks, Montreal, the Sharks are ahead of all of these teams, okay, in, in Corsi percentage. Um, so they're directing a lot of shots towards the net. That's the good news. And I, I'm assuming that's what Mike is talking about when he's talking about the Sharks' possession stats. Um, the Sharks' PDO right now, which is their uh, shooting percentage plus the save percentage, is 99.1% which actually isn't that far off the traditional mean, which is about 100. So I don't think the Sharks are actually that unlucky, considering PDO is considered to be uh, somewhat correlated with luck. Uh, not correlated with luck, but it seems to be a, a stat that, that just moves around regardless of the team's ability. The Sharks are slightly unlucky, okay? Slightly unlucky in terms of their shooting percentage. I know their shooting percentage is low for this, for this season. It's under 7%, but... They're, they're not that unlucky when it comes to that. The one thing I do want to talk about that I think is really kind of interesting is I actually want to talk about Fenwick, which is similar to Corsi, except it doesn't include block shots, okay? So, so Corsi is uh, shots plus missed shots plus block shots um, you know, versus the other team's numbers in the same. And Fenwick is shots plus missed shots, okay? If we look at Fenwick percentage... The Sharks are 14th in the league, okay? They are barely, uh, they barely have their head above water. They are 50.8% in Fenwick percentage, okay? They are behind Anaheim, behind Detroit, behind Vancouver, behind Pittsburgh, behind Boston, behind the Caps, behind St. Louis, okay? So this is a different picture. Now, the question is, is this more meaningful than Corsi? I have no idea, okay? But... I, I know at least that Fenwick is slightly better correlated to puck possession than Fenwick, than Corsi is. Fenwick is a little bit better. So in terms of possession stats, I'm not sure. I mean, the Sharks right now are like league average. They're like almost exactly league average. So 
you know, on one side, Mike's right in that it looks good. On the other side, it doesn't look that good. So, dude, pop quiz. What's the difference between Corsi and Fenway? I'm sorry, dude. I was thinking about what I'm having for dinner tonight. Right. Yes. This is going on long, isn't it? Right? <laughs> well, if I remember correctly, uh, Fenwick takes into account missed shots, dude. Am I right? And not blocked shots. That is correct. So Thank you. So, so in terms of what, what it means, in terms of the difference, in terms of what that tells you about the team, I don't know. I mean, what, what does that say? I don't know, but how's this for a stat? The Sharks are number one in the league in terms of getting their shots blocked. Absolutely number, <laughs> absolutely number one, and by a, a, a big margin, actually. The Sharks have more of their shots blocked than any other team in the league. They have 387 of their shots have been blocked. The next, I believe, is uh, 335, and that is uh, the Boston Bruins that we're playing tonight. Wow. So there's a lot of teams right around 300. There's a lot of teams in the high 200s. But the Sharks are the only team over 350, and there's only three or four teams above 300. So the Sharks are getting a ton of the shots blocked. What does that mean, dude? Well, I think that, I mean, just by hearing that stat, and it's something that's been a problem, and I don't know what the stats have been for the last couple of years, but I think they're shooting from too far away. Like, you don't get your shot blocked if you're shooting, you know, in and around the net. You're usually getting it to the goalie. If you're shooting it all the way out from the blue line, blue line at the dots, then you're going to be getting your shots blocked. And it seems like that's happening. Plus, we do not have, other than Brent Burns, anyone, although Vlasic's goal against uh, Philadelphia excluded, who's a real threat to score and savvy with the puck on the blue line. Where's Dan Boyle? Yeah, I agree with all that. And, and I should also mention that the Sharks have had 335 of their shots blocked, but have only blocked 267, which is... Uh, actually, no. Sorry. They blocked 387 and, and had 295 of theirs blocked, which gives them a differential of 92, which is also number one in the league. So the Sharks, in terms of differential between number of shots of theirs blocked versus the number of shots they've blocked, they are the worst in the league. Now, I think your, your, your point about shooting from too far away is interesting because I think it goes to a, a, a concept that people have talked about that there aren't a lot of great metrics for, and that's shot quality. And it, mm-hmm. seems, it seems like the Sharks' shot quality has gone down this year. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think these stats sort of back that up. If we want to go with Corsi, then yeah, the Sharks are doing okay. But, but if we want to go with shot quality, I think the Sharks are clearly worse. Clearly mm-hmm. worse, and they're worse than a lot of other teams. You know, like sort of the class of the league. Um, you know, the Sharks are behind a lot of these guys. Minnesota and Chicago at the top. You know, we have the Islanders, Tampa Bay, Nashville, St. Louis. It's sort of like a who's who of who's playing well in the National Hockey League right now. If we look at Fenwick percentage and not Corsi percentage, so so Mike, I gotta say, I'm not entirely as rosy on the Sharks' possession stats as you might be, and and maybe you can take another look at these numbers and tell me what I'm missing. And I'm going to just follow up and finish up with saying that Mike uh, pointed me to, towards a TSN analytic podcast, which is super dorky, yet interesting. So if anybody wants to listen to that, you can listen to a bunch of nerds talking about stats. And as Kevin Kurtz says in his Twitter feed, all you guys that like Microsoft Excel more than like watching the games, which I thought was a pretty <laughs> funny shot. Oh, man, dude. Well, here we are sitting with two wins. 
game against Boston coming up, a trip to Calgary, a trip to Edmonton. Well, we'll see our old friend Drew Remenda and possibly the worst team in hockey, which the Sharks don't usually do well against teams that are that bad. I'm sure the Oilers will break their losing streak against the Sharks. Yeah. Um, these games um, are all potentially winnable and they're all potentially losable, dude. So um, where do you think the Sharks fall after this three-game swing? You know what? I am going to drink a little bit of Mike's Kool-Aid on this, and I'm going to say the Sharks are going to beat Calgary this time around because in my uh, in my research, Calgary stats are actually really bad. Like, their possession stats are bad. They're low at the bottom five Fenwick, bottom five Corsi. I mean, Calgary is playing way above their head if you look at possession stats right now. And although they beat us, you know, only a few days ago, I think it's it's so out of whack for that team that it's going to have to come back to earth pretty soon. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm going to say that I think uh, the Sharks will beat Calgary, uh, you know, two games from now. I'm not super optimistic about tonight, even though Boston does have some injuries. And as you said, I'm not that optimistic about Edmonton because the Sharks can't seem to beat crappy teams at all. They, they should beat the Bruins tonight, dude. They should. I mean, Boston is really struggling with injuries. And this is a game that if you really want to be considered a playoff team, that you must win. Boston is not playing awesome. I mean, they're hot and cold. So, yeah, you're facing a really tough goalie, which doesn't usually bode well for the Sharks. But hopefully they can get a win tonight. I feel a little less optimistic about the Calgary game. Just they, They're like this year's avalanche, right? I mean, they just find a way to win. Mm-hmm. And they're very, very difficult to play against. And the Oilers game, and the Oilers are terrible. They are so bad. They suck. Terrible. And they don't seem to have any idea what to do to fix it. Nothing. <laughs> Which is very entertaining, actually. <laughs> what if they're going to get Connor McDavid? Yeah, then they'll have like four number one picks. Five, <laughs> I mean, however many they have. What a, what a train wreck that would be. They end up with Connor McDavid. I mean, what would they do? They wouldn't even know what to do. Like, I mean, that, that Connor McDavid, I think, might be, throw himself in front of a train. Uh, yeah, on that big bet of money they're going to give him. So <laughs> that's right, the money train. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't care where he goes. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. I mean, you think he's looking at this right now and going. I mean, ironically, going, please be Columbus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, please be Buffalo, right? I mean, how crazy is that? I know. I don't like, think I'd much rather I, go to Buffalo. Oh, I mean, if, if you're looking at the teams right now that are staring that sort of situation in the face, I mean, you would rather go to Columbus because Columbus, oh. because they are riddled with injuries. Like, that team was a playoff team last year when they were healthy. If they add him, that's a whole other dimension. You go to Buffalo and Edmonton, you'll still stink. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I yeah, I mean, he's going to go to a bad team. I mean, that's how number one draft picks work. You go to bad teams. Right, sure. But, that's, but, but the situation in Columbus is that they are bad because of other reasons, not because they are just pure out-and-out bad, right? Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. I, I'm I'm slightly more optimistic, dude, for this reason as well. And in that, it seems like Nieto and Hurdle are playing better. I like them playing together. Yeah. Like that, I like them playing together. And I wish that they weren't being centered by James Shepard. But 
I mean, if that's what it is for now, that's what it is. You know, it'd be interesting. I'd like to see them centered by Chris Tierney. I would really like to see that. Like, I'd be very, very interested in that. And to see, this is three guys who we're going to be counting on for the next five to seven years. And I'd like to see it. And I know I'm, you know, living a pipe dream because that's not going to happen. But, you know, let's see what some of this stuff's going to look like. But for now, keep them together. Don't mix the lines up. And let's let's see what these guys can do together. If they can develop some chemistry together, that's a positive thing. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Let's keep, let's keep these guys rolling. Let's keep them in sort of like a positive environment, you know, some youthful exuberance line. Keep Nieto and Hurdle together. Keep them running out there. You know, the speed is palpable when those guys are on the ice. And, and Hurdle had a a really great, you know, goal against Anaheim, which is a, a tough play to make, especially in traffic, you know, to the backhand and roof, you know, that's, that's a, that's a confident play. Uh, you know, a lot, you know, guys who aren't sure if they can score guys who are scared, they don't make plays like that. Usually they don't try stuff like that. And, and hurdle made it. He executed it perfectly and scored. I, I, I like the way this is trending. Do Do you know what I miss? What? I miss Tracy. I miss her a lot. <laughs> we haven't heard from her in a long time. It's been like two weeks, dude. I miss her. Okay. I'm just saying. All right, dude. I think that's it for this week. So, uh, and, uh, oh, uh, the only, the only uh, general NHL news or one of the general NHL news items I want to mention is, uh, you know, John Beliveau recently passed. And, and in terms of if you're going to talk about major figures in NHL hockey of the past 60 years. Uh, John Beliveau has got to be in the top five. Am I right? I mean, it's Gretzky, yeah, exactly. it's Gretzky Lemieux, or and Beliveau, right? Yeah. Icon, uh, you know, like a, in French Canada, like a, you know, a, a pol- politician dying, you know, someone, a head of state, you know, this was a, a very painful moment for uh, Canadian hockey fans, especially French uh, Canadian hockey fans. So uh, it's always sad when you see great, great icons of the game uh, departing. But uh, some some awesome memories, or not, you know, memories in terms of things that we saw, but things that you've read, heard about this guy. He was a great player, and and a lot more than that. I think you know, for the younger listeners and people that have recently gotten into hockey, as a lot of California fans have. You know, go back and read some articles about Jean Beliveau. You know, read some stuff about Jean Beliveau because he wasn't just a great player and obviously a, a captain of the Montreal Canadiens during, you know, a, a very dominant period in their history. But by every possible description, the guy was as close to a saint as you can get. He was he was personable. He was humble. He was, uh, you know, a very a classy individual in all situations. I mean, I have literally never read an anecdote where Jean Beliveau was described as crotchety or salty or rude or any of those things. I mean, the guy just had time for everybody all throughout his life. And, and if you want to get some chills down your spine, go back a couple years. And there was a moment where the Canadians brought him onto the ice. And I think it was like a five or six minute standing ovation for Jean Beliveau. Mm-hmm. I mean, Montreal knows how important this guy is and they appreciate him. And, and if there's something that we can do to, you know, turn other people on to that legacy of Jean Beliveau, then do it. Read some stories about this guy or, or read his autobiography or a biography of him because, you know, by all accounts, he was a pretty uh, spectacular person and obviously a spectacular hockey player. So 
Would you say, dude, like the modern day equivalent is, say, Sean Avery? Yeah, I, you know, maybe, maybe Milan Lucic. You know, I'd sort of go there. Sports. <laughs> personable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember Jean Beliveau having an internship at Vogue magazine. <laughs> All right, dude. All right, dude. We're a little bit more optimistic this week. I like where we're going with this. That's what a two-game winning streak can do for a girl. Let's let's see if we can keep it going, dude. Okay, dude. Talk to you next week. Later. Bye. Hate the show? Want to get your questions on the air? Email questions at dudesonhockey.com. Dudes on Hockey is not affiliated with the San Jose Sharks organization or the National Hockey League.